intimidating as it is to sort of stand in front of you lot and talk for half an hour, then I'd rather take my chances with you lot than sort of half a dozen <laughs> three-year-olds, because they are... Yeah, so my uh, daughter Naomi is, is one of them, possibly the ringleader, it's hard to say, it's the puppet master, but um, we'd be, we, we pray with her uh, in every night at uh, bedtime, and uh, what we do, we try and keep it really simple, we kind of say, okay, one thing that we want to thank Jesus for that's happened today, and then one thing we want to ask Jesus for, and uh, you just never know what you're going to get, basically, and so like last night, for instance, we got... What do we want to thank Jesus for? We've got buses. Good. I thought that was all right. You know, like, we'd had a good day. We'd been on the bus, and we had a good time. I thought, oh, yeah, that's cool. And then, well, uh, what do you want to pray for? Three. Three what? No, just three. The number three. <laughs> the concept of the number three. I'm like, okay, do I sort of try and weave in the Trinity here? Like, no, I, I don't understand the Trinity, so she's not going to get it. So uh, other times we've had things like, Daddy... I'm going to pray for my pillow, you pray for my covers. <laughs> and again there, I'm like, okay, maybe I'll try. So on that one, I think I did. We, I was like, thank you, Lord, we have shelter. And roof over our heads. And did a good job with that. And other times, it's like, Daddy, I want to pray for purple dragons. And it's like, okay, do I kind of say, thank you, Lord, you give us imagination. No, I was just like, yeah, Lord, bless the purple dragons. <laughs> just forget, this, this prayer time's over. <laughs> and uh, and uh, with, when it comes to preaching... Uh, we kind of, normally what happens is you get given a passage or you get given a theme and, uh, and you never know what you're going to get. And sometimes, you know, you get a passage and you'd be like, yes, I really sort of know that one. I feel like plenty with that. I'm going to, you know, really get started. And another, another time you get something and you're like, oh, I don't, what am I going to do with that? You know, it's the word of God. It's, uh, it's beautiful, whatever it is. But other, t- you know, it's like you just never know what you're going to get. And, but this time, uh, Seth said, okay, Palm Sunday preach on King Jesus in his glory. I thought, yeah, nice, nice brief. Like, of all the things you could get as a preacher, like, that's, that's, that's your dream. That's your dream ticket. So I was so excited to be able to preach on Jesus in his glory today. And uh, you've already heard a lot about the story that we're going to be looking at uh, being Palm Sunday. We're going to look at it in the account of uh, John's Gospel. So if you've got your Bibles, um, the book of John, so you've got Old Testament, New Testament, and... Uh, which is the, the second half, and it goes uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. So it's fairly easy to find. Uh, and I think, uh, did, I, did I put the words for this passage up? Yes, I did, okay. I just thought, oh, I'd, I knew I'd, I did some words, but I thought, oh, did I actually remember to do the main passage? I wasn't sure, but I did. Well done, me. Okay, so John 12 from verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it's written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing? Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, Lord, you know what my prayer is today. My prayer is the same, the same prayer that I prayed ever since I've known I, I, I had this scripture to teach, and it's just this, that you'd be glorified today, Lord Jesus. I really ask, that's what I ask, is that you'd be revealed. Something of your character would be revealed. I thank you so much for the time we've had already to praise and worship. I pray that I pray that you would do something. I pray that this, these words of mine, which are, which are so imperfect, but I pray that you would be here, Holy Spirit, and you would deposit something in people's hearts that is fruitful so that we can worship you, not just, not just when I stop talking and when the band comes up, but that it would be the beginning of a, a richer life of worshipping you and loving you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we just, let's just... Um, why don't you just pray for yourself? So if you know God, why don't you just, let's just be quiet for a minute and, uh, and let's just ask him, just say, Lord, speak to me today. So uh, this scene is really the climax of Jesus' popularity. Um, what's happened, you know, Jesus has been uh, crossing the country for, for two or three years now. He's been preaching that the kingdom of God's at hand. He's been healing the sick, casting out demons. And, and so word, not surprisingly, has spread about him. Not only that, but just recently, uh, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, Lazarus lived just a couple of miles outside Jerusalem, uh, pretty nearby, and, and, and he'd become a kind of lo- something of a kind of local celebrity as a result of this. And, uh, and so it, it, this is like, it's like it's ratcheted up, the, 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 the talk, the buzz about Jesus. And then he comes into Jerusalem, and he's coming, and, and the crowds, as we've already seen, they're, they're crying out, Hosanna, God save, please save. They're crying out, uh, here he comes, the king of Israel, uh, and, and it's, uh, as, as we've already said, what happens is that there's this huge kind of climax of excitement about this Jesus, and then, as Rich said earlier, just days later, we know that, this, that, that the crowd was crying out, blasphemy, and crucify him. And the word that uh, God gave me when I pretty much the minute I, I got asked to preach on this was just this, that, that what is it about us that means that we can be one moment crying out about his glory, singing songs about, oh, Jesus, let you, you know, I give my all to your kingdom as we're singing that song uh, and speaking out great praise to him. Uh, but then kind of almost moments later, we go down the road and, and, our, and our words and our actions can deny him. What is it that means that we can you know, one moment we'll be, we'll be speaking out and, uh, and thinking on him and focusing on, it, on him and his glory. And then so easily, you know, the next day, Monday comes around and, and we find ourselves being seduced by other things and, and, and going after other things and things like whatever it might be, a, a person or, or money or fame or career. And, and, uh, and what I felt God really put on my heart for today was, was just, what is that, first of all? Like, what? Why is that? Why are we like that? But more than that, like how can we uh, cultivate in ourselves? How can we nurture in ourselves 
uh, a love for Jesus and a, an affection for him, that means that increasingly we're, we're, we're being faithful to him and, and thinking on him and, uh, and pursuing him. And uh, what, I want, what I want you to kind of, uh, what I want you to imagine is that uh, next to you uh, on the floor there is like a, a, a portfolio case and inside that case you've got uh, some pictures and those pictures are of Jesus as you know him. So I want you to think, what are the, when you think about Jesus, like what are the, what are the pictures that come into your mind? What are the, the words that come to mind and the, and the kind of ideas? Like, so I'm guessing like for, for, for a lot of us, particularly it's Easter time, you know, the first image that might come into our heads would be that uh, of, of the man on a cross, the beard, and, and you know, the crown of thorns on his head. If it was Easter, you know, it might be a picture of you know, the baby in the, in, in the animal's feeding trough. I don't know what those images are for you, but what I, what I would guess is that for many of us, there aren't actually that many different pictures in our little portfolio case there. And the pictures that are there are maybe a little bit fuzzy. You know how you get those, um, you know, at weddings and there's a dis- disposable camera on every table. And uh, if you've ever had a, ever got married and decided to do that, then what happens is that you get back like 300 rubbish photos. <laughs> uh, and they're, they're all like just a bit blurry, just a bit rubbish. And, and, uh, and so what I'm guessing is that a lot of these pictures, you, you can see it's Jesus, but it's, it's, there's not a lot of detail there. Like, it's not a lot of, it's not very clear. And uh, what I want is for us to, to kind of, we're going to look at three pictures of Jesus. We're going to look at three descriptions that, that look at certain facets of his character. And uh, so what I want is for us to kind of come away with three really clear pictures of him. And... Uh, but more than that, what I want us to come away with is, is, a, is, is kind of a hunger and, uh, and, and is to come away hungry and also equipped to, to go and get for yourselves more pictures. So uh, to, to get yourself, because what I, what I contend is that the reason that we can be so double-minded in, in following Jesus, the reason that we can be one moment, yeah, and then one moment, oh, is that we just, we don't have a clear enough picture of him. So... We're, either we limit him or, or we just kind of make up for ourselves this idea of who Jesus is. And what I want for us to do is to look in the Bible and to find for ourselves an uh, understanding of actually who is he, what is his character, what is he actually like. And, um, uh, and then more than that, so I want you to come away today with three new pictures or three much clearer pictures to put in your portfolio and, and go away with a desire to get more, but more than that, most important is that those descriptions wouldn't, they're not an end in themselves, but actually when we know Jesus, what actually is the whole point of that is that we, we, we when we see the description of what he's like, it should lead us to worship. So it should lead us to getting to know him more. It should lead us to a genuine kind of affection for the person. We should be, you know, in awe of him and, and blown away by him and uh, and delighted with him. And so what I want is to help us uh, understand, because otherwise, if, it, if all we have is, is, is kind of great knowledge, you know, that's not, you just end up like a scholar, don't you? Like you just, who wants to be a scholar? Just some guy who 
boring guy with kind of beard and glasses who sits on his own. I'm just describing myself almost there, and me and Dave Morris. But, but I mean, who wants to be? A, uh, it's not enough to be a scholar. We want to be, want to be lovers of Jesus. We want to be people who, who, who have an affection and love for Him. And it's not, it's not just me saying this, but actually, Jesus says it Himself. If you want to uh, flick forward in your Bibles to Revelation chapter two. Revelation is easy to find. It's the very last book of the Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, then it's going to come up on the screen again. So, so this is to the church in Ephesus, and Jesus speaks to them. He says, "I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false." I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Wow, what a church. Like, to start with, that's, that's, some pretty, that's a pretty outstanding uh, kind of list of uh, commendations. So, first of all, they're, they're, they've been toiling, uh, and it's been really hard, but they've, 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 they've not grown weary in doing it. They've just kept going. And not only that, but they've patiently endured it. Like, it's actually... That's, that's pretty great going. And next it says that they've got really good doctrine. It says that when you know, other teachers come in, uh, they really know their stuff, and, and when they hear someone teach, they can kind of line up with the gospel and go, yeah, good, or no, bad, get out. And it seems like they're really good and really strong on their doctrine. So it seems like a pretty, pretty great church. Verse 4, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So actually, it's not like, it's not like, yeah, you've got all these good things going for you and, you know, you've got loads of good strengths and then there's this area of weakness. You just need to work on that, get that, get that better, but, you know, it's all right, you know, you're doing all right, you've got these great strengths. Actually, Jesus is saying, repent, or I'm going to remove my spirit from the church. He's actually saying, go back to, to loving me like you did when you first got to knew me, otherwise I'm going to close down this church. Wow, that's so strong, isn't it? You're like, oh, the, these guys seem pretty good. Like, they, they had good doctrine, they were going for it, strong. Like, I can kind of see, without, this is by no means some sort of, directional word, but I can just sort of see parallels with my own life and even us guys. Like, there's loads of guys in this church that are really, you know, motivated and really passionate and, and doing loads of stuff, and they just keep going, enduring patiently. Don't get weary, and great, and we've got some great doctrine. We've got elders who really hold fast to biblical teaching, but clearly it's not enough. Jesus says, it's not enough. He's saying, look, if you don't... Uh, if you don't have genuine affection for me, this kind of love, then I don't want a church like that. I'm not interested in a church that's like that. So I'm going to close this church. He's not saying I'm going to remove, it's not saying anything about you're going to lose your salvation. That's not the message at all because our salvation is dependent on God's love, which is completely consistent, completely faithful. But it's about our love for him. And he's saying, look, if you're not as a church being in love and nurturing and fostering an affection for me, then I don't want that kind of church. So, such a strong word. So, 
what I want us to do now is, uh, so we've established that we've got to uh, have a, a, a clear picture of Jesus in order to nurture this love for him. And so we're just going to look quite quickly, actually, at, at, at three possible, uh, three pictures of him that I've picked out of kind of countless other possible uh, descriptions of Jesus. And I want to start, the first one is gracious friend. And uh, you might be like, ah, oh, like, of all the ones you could have picked, Dave, that's pretty unoriginal because, you know, we, we, we actually talk about God's grace a lot. We've already talked about it today. You know, why not pick something a bit more interesting, a bit more obscure, a bit something that we hadn't heard kind of every week. And the reason I specifically want to start with this one is that we just need to keep being reminded. Like, we just, it's like we can't, we, we don't dare to believe that, that, that we're accepted by God. We don't be, dare to believe the grace of God. And, and pretty much every time someone uh, stands up here who's leading the meeting to, to kind of start the meeting off, you find that they talk about the grace of God. And uh, I don't know how many times, you know, we've looked at Hebrews 4 and, you know, come boldly before the, great, the, the, the throne of grace and uh, receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. And the reason is you just need to keep being reminded. We just can't, we just don't seem able to, to kind of believe it. And, uh, you know, Zechariah 2 says that, um, actually, I don't, maybe not, it might not be 2, I think it's 2, but he says, we're described uh, uh, as the apple of his eye. So God describes us as the apple of his eye. And uh, I don't know about you, but I don't know if you even use that phrase that much, but for me, um, as a dad, you know, I kind of naturally think of my kids. And uh, as I've already said, like, the, they're in there right now. So behind that door is Kresh. And uh, they'll be like harrying the workers in there, and uh, and so I'll go and I'll, I'll get my daughter from there later, and I and uh, I'll be like, you know, were you good? She's like, no. <laughs> and uh, and uh, in fact, she doesn't kind of probably like certainly not an hour goes by without her disobeying me. Probably not even a minute. And uh, uh, and uh, but I'll go in there, and uh, and and you know, the, the kids work, the crash workers will be you know, looking tired and crying, or whatever it is. <laughs> and actually, by the way, if anyone's free to help, we're kind of low on workers with Crescent Moment, so if you are able to, to sign up for that, it'd be great to have more people. Uh, but go in there, and, and, and they'll be looking hard. And, uh, but she'll run up to me and, and, and jump in my arms, be like, Daddy, and, 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 uh, and, and what is that? Like, how come she feels so utterly, uh, like, without hesitation, she's jumped into my arms knowing that she's going to be accepted? Like, what is that? It's because she just she senses my delight in her. She she knows she can just feel it. She knows that I absolutely delight in her. I'm crazy about her. And what is it that mean, that that we seem to be so quickly forget that God might feel that way about us? That He might be utterly delighted in us. And and actually, if I said to you, so if I said to you now, God loves you, and you would be like, Yeah, I, I get that. I know, yeah, He loves me. Uh, and I'll be like, no, but God loves you, like you individually. So not us corporately, but God loves you. If I sat you down, be like, did you know God loves you? And you, and He actually likes you. Like He's actually crazy about you. And you, as you are now, like right now, what you're like now. So not you in like ten years' time when you're, you know, you're not, you're not struggling with the stuff that you're struggling with now. You're not, you, you're, you're amazing in evangelism. You in ten years, you are, you know, you're consistent in your prayer life. You're 
you've memorized half of scripture, because you can imagine that God loves you in 10 years' time. And you can probably imagine, actually, that God loves like that guy over there, even though that guy over there is not perfect. You know, he's not perfect, but he's not like you. Like, like you know what you're like. So God loves you right now as you are, and he delights in you. He's crazy about you. And when I started off the message, uh, not the message, when I started off the meeting last week, I talked about uh, the story of Zacchaeus. And uh, just this, this guy who's like, he's traitorous, he's, he, he's, he's betrayed his own people, he's the lowest of low, completely shunned by everyone. And Jesus is coming along, and just like this story we read earlier, the crowds are around him, they're crazy about him. And, uh, and he picks, he goes past Zacchaeus, he says, Zacchaeus, you. And he doesn't say, sort it out, Zacchaeus, and then you and I can talk. Now he says, hurry down, because I must come to your house for dinner. And there's a kind of urgency about Jesus, like there's a kind of, come here, I want you now, as you are now. And he, uh, and he just, he wants, he, he wants to grab hold of us as we are now, and yeah, there was transformation for Zacchaeus, but it's not like he had to sort himself, get himself straight, and then they could talk. No, just come here. I want you. So there's something about Jesus, this gracious friend, that just desires to be with us now as we are. The next picture I wanted to look at is that of, because Jesus is very much our friend, but he's absolutely not our, our peer. So he's absolutely not on our level. He's very much our friend, but he's not our peer. And I want to look at um, Revelation 5, which says that, talks about Jesus. Uh, if you just flip forward, just a page forward. All right, and the words are going to come up on the screen again. Revelation 5 from verse 1. Then I saw in the... Uh, no, I, I think that's the, uh, that's the next one. If you flip back a, a slide, uh, another one. That computer's a nightmare, by the way. She's brilliant, but we just got rubbish equipment. So, uh, so 5 verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. We've got a picture here. Of there's, there's crisis and we're, we're looking, and, and, and it seems like all is lost because there's no one that's worthy to, to take the scriptures from, from God. And, 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 and then this, this amazing kind of heroic picture. I'm not really going to go... I know that... So this kind of writing is called apocalyptic writing. It's very kind of figurative. It's kind of poetry. It's kind of really kind of nuts imagery sometimes, like really sort of just mad stuff. And it's... Uh, it's not literal, but this figure comes in, Jesus, and, 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 and his figure, his picture is a lion. 
I want you to imagine like, what would happen if that door opened and a lion walked in. Like, what would be the response? Actual lion. It would be terror, wouldn't it? Like, we, it would be actual terror. We'd, we, we'd run, we'd all pull out the door. Like, a, a lion is ferocious. They are, like, absolutely top of the, of the animal kingdom. You don't mess with a lion. If you're, like, a hyena or, or a, a leopard, something like that, and you kill something, you are, like, ah, quick, get it in in case a lion comes. Because if a lion comes, you know you've got to get out of there. You've got to scarper because you don't stand a chance. And then if a, if a lion does come, do you know what he does? He'll come in, everyone else will run away, and he won't even eat it. He'll just go and he'll lie down, he'll just have a little nap next to it. Because he knows no one's going to come near him because he's a liar. <laughs> you can't mess with a lion. And that's, that's the picture of Jesus. That's the one chosen. It's very different, isn't it? It's very different from this kind of cozy Jesus, this kind of cool, approachable, easygoing Jesus that we often think of. It's a very different aspect of his character. I'm going to just shoot back to a gospel account of him again in, in, in John. You can flip through if you want to. It's John chapter 2. The words will come up on the screen. John chapter 2 from verse 14. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he said, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Let's just go through that a minute because it's, it's quite a familiar story and we could kind of f- sort of flit over the details a bit. So we're in the temple there's people selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and there's also money changers there, so they're, they're like, like a currency exchange guys. And then obviously there's, there's people who are buying from all these people. So it's a busy scene. This is the temple. And, and what does Jesus do? He comes in and he makes a whip of cords. Like, seriously, he makes a whip of cords? Like what, what does that... Like what did he actually do? So he gets... He got some cords, and he must have, I mean, this must have taken a little bit of time, yeah? So he got these cords, and he's kind of, I don't know, kind of plaiting them into a, to make a whip. Like what's his, what was his face like? Can you imagine? He's looking on, he's furious. Like what's going on? And he just stands there, and he makes a whip. He's just looking at it. And then, it says he drove them all out of the temple. He drove them all out of the temple. There's a lot of people. We're just saying there's always there's the, the, the cows and the sheep and the, and the pigeons. There's the money changers. One guy drives them all out of the temple with a whip. Like, what was that like? What was it actually like? He must have, like, did he go like that? And was he going, ah! Like, he must have been terrifying. Because if, you're, if that's your place of business, like, I'd be like, there's ten of us, one of him. Come on, let's go. They, don't, they, they all ran out. Like, what was that like? like? What must he have looked like for you to decide? I'm gonna like he gets your money and he throws your money on the floor, ch- turns your table over, and you go. Actually, I'm just gonna leave the money and run. Like, what must he have looked like? What must he have been like? Again, it's quite a different picture, isn't it, from from this sort of cozy Jesus that we sometimes think of. And he told those who sold the pigeons, "Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade." 
I wonder if this, if, if having this picture of him, this, this, uh, uh, of this lion, so it, in Revelation, it's like, Revelation is a bit like, uh, it, it, it's like kind of, it's like you sort of take the curtain away and see what, see what's sort of really going on. So we've got these two different pictures. One of, is of, of, of Jesus, um, and he's, uh, he, we, you know, it's, it's a sort of, it's a, it's a scene on the earth, as it were, of something we see what he's like, and then we, we kind of see this sort of figurative language of what he's like, this line. I wonder what that makes us think of now, suddenly, when, when we come, uh, when we come in to, to sort of pray to him. Because like, there's, there's, a, there's a danger that we can, if, we, if, our, if our one picture of him is the gracious friend, that we might, we might just be just complacent enough to come in and, and feel like, well, yeah, I've got, I've got this kind of ongoing scene in my life. I know that I'm, I'm doing things wrong that, that, that God tells me not to do very clearly. But, you know, Jesus and me, we're mates. You know, we're, we're friends, we're mates, and so it would be okay. It's, it's kind of cool. If that, you know, if that, if that, if that gracious friend is our only picture of him, then we, we might be tempted to, to, to feel that way, mightn't we? And yet suddenly we've got this other picture of a, of a figure who is terrifying. I mean, he is terrifying. People just fled when they saw him. Let's look at a third and final picture. Again, we're, 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 we're in Revelation chapter 19 this time. Uh, starting at verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, that's like crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Again, let's just kind of, let's just go back through some of, some of this sort of description. It says, uh, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. So before the, the, the very first passage we looked at, of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, he's on a donkey. It's the picture of the, the humble king. This is like the conquering king. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. So basically he's coming uh, to judge. This is the end of time. Uh, this is when Jesus comes and he judges the world. And so uh, it says his eyes are like a flame of fire. You know that look when, when, you know, when you really, when you disobey your dad, and he just looks at you like it's kind of like it's kind of like that. Isn't it? His eyes are, are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. So this is Jesus. He's coming. It says he's coming to judge and make war. So he's making war against all those who are uh, against him. So it's the earth, we have uh, six billion people, you know, we've got like nukes and tanks and aircraft and stuff. And what's Jesus coming at us with? What's he got? 
bulletproof vest. He's clothed in a robe. Oh, like Jesus is wearing cotton. Like how hard is he? So he's coming up against the earth. He's coming against uh, the whole earth, everything that could be coming against him. And he's just wearing a robe. Just wearing a robe. And not only that, but it says that his army behind him, they're arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. So the, the, this army that's following behind him, it's like they're, they're, not, they're not even, they're not worried about kind of getting mud or blood on their outfits. They're not even kind of worried about getting a wrinkle in it, it seems. Like because Jesus' Jesus' victory is going to be so absolute, he's going to so thoroughly win this, uh, that, that they can just kind of wear, I don't know, like dress as if they're sort of going on a date. Like they're just that, that kind of confident. And it says, uh, where are we? He's clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he's called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So it seems like King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that's kind of written on his, uh, on his robe and even uh, on his thighs. He's got a tattoo on his leg. It says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How cool is that? How cool is that, seriously? And, and, and like, what does that, how does that make you feel when you come to worship Jesus? Like, again, if, like, I really feel like I could really worship a God that looks like that. A God that is that awesome. Sometimes, you know, if, if we, we're singing, you know, Jesus and, uh, like, singing, you know, about how we love him and, uh, and, if that kind of, again, if that picture of a kind of Middle Eastern uh, guy is the only picture in our mind, then it can be kind of a bit strange. But this picture, if we're looking on him in his glory, uh, and just this picture of his absolute power to conquer, and what a picture that is, or what, it, what is it like to pray to a God like that, who's so powerful that he can just f- face up against uh, the, the, the most that man could ever point at him in, in, in just wearing cotton. Like how, how does that make us feel? How are we able to worship when, when we're looking at a, a Jesus that looks like that? And, that, and so there's three really quick pictures. That of a, a, a gracious friend, that of the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and that of the uh, uh, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And you know we could pick dozens, countless other possible pictures. You could look at uh, the Prince of Peace. You could look at, at him as our saviour. The one, uh, our mediator, that mediates between us and God. Could look at um, Emmanuel, God with us. Could look at him as the resurrection and the life. We could look at him as the lamb that was slain. Or the shepherd who, who oversees and cares for us. Could look at Jesus, the bridegroom. And the church is the bride who just absolutely loves us. We could look at, at Jesus, the vine. And we're the branches that are that are grafted in with him. What I would really, what I really want us to uh, encourage us to do is to, um, is to start getting these, these pictures for ourselves. So that, uh, uh, let me just recommend a book that's just been recommended here, I don't know, at least a couple of times before, Incomparable by Andrew Wilson. 
And uh, there's probably, I don't know, maybe 60, something like that, 50 or 60 kind of portraits of God, the different aspects of his character. And uh, each one is just, a, you know, maybe four pages. But, you know, I just find, you, and I, you know, I really enjoyed it as I was preparing for this, just being able to just spend a little bit of time and, and, and meditate on an aspect of, of God's character and just, just spending time with it. So you might just, like with that, the line of Judah, I just... You know, I got it. Got the those few verses about describing the kind of scene, and I just sort of lay in my room, and I just you know read a, maybe five or six words, and just thought about it, and just pictured it, just like we did picture that scene of Jesus in the temple, and just picture, okay, what was that? Like? What does that look like? And, what, and and just let sort of thoughts kind of drop into your head of what you know what what he's like, and uh, and let the Holy Spirit deposit little thoughts into your head, and what you find is that. By doing that and, and just feeding yourself in that way, you just find that when you come to worship, it's just so easy to extol him. Just you find you've suddenly got all these, like this, your vocabulary has just kind of gone like that. It's, you've just got so many words and uh, ideas and thoughts of what he's like. It just becomes so easy to extol him. And more than that, it becomes so easy to um, like just find that... that it, just, the, just by going, when you're going about a daily life, like, just those things that, that you attempted to do before, like, I don't know what it, you know, whether it's like looking, looking lustful at someone or, 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 or um, sort of lying or whatever it is, but just find that when you've got these pictures of Jesus that we just, it's just less, just, it's not really interested in those things anymore. I don't know, it's just something about having this affection for him that just makes, we just don't want to do it. I just don't want to do anything that hurts him like that because he's just so close. I know what he's like. So, um, so I'd really encourage you to do that. And, uh, and like I said, my, my prayer is really that I'm sort of not that fussed about, you know, obviously you really want to kind of, you know, I really want to bless you and preach well, but really what my heart is when I've been praying for this sermon is just that you would go away and... Uh, we're gonna, I, we're gonna, I'm going to shut up pretty soon. And we're going to just have some time of just being able to worship him and praise him. But, but also my prayer is really that you, this would be fruitful for you and that you could just go away and, uh, and there would be a sense that uh, as you go away, you'd go away and do that and, and it would be a real blessing to you. I'm just going to end by reading um, the rest of that passage in John. Um, and then the band are going to come up. So... Um, John 12 from verse 20, so it says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast was some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in, in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them. And this is one of those answers. You know when you ask for something, you ask Jesus something, and he answers you seemingly a completely different answer to the question you asked. But he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What Jesus is saying here is, so these Greeks, these non-Jews, they've come for the Passover and they're saying, oh, we want to see, we want to see Jesus. And Jesus answers, look, this is it. The time's come. The hour's come for me to be glorified. He's saying, like, the time of the cross is here. Because what these guys really need they're not, they're not God's people, but what they really need is for me to go to the cross so that 
they can be reconciled to God. And he says a few verse late, verses later, you know, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He's saying, this is it. This is the moment. I'm going to go to the cross for you. Because what you really need is for me to pay for your sin, to pay for all that wrong that you've done, so that you can, you can have access. You can be reconciled to your Father in heaven. So you might not know Jesus. You might not know um, him for yourself personally. Uh, I want you to know today that he went to the cross for you. And you might not know everything about him, and that's okay because none of us do. We're all still learning. But you might have just heard enough today to, to be like, okay, I think I want to follow him. Like, there's enough there that, okay, you, you know, there's still more to learn, but there's, some, there's enough there that I think, yeah, I, I want to follow this Jesus. I want to worship him. If that's the case for you, then we're going to take bread and wine in just a moment. I would really uh, just invite you to, to take the bread and wine and, and, and just do business with God. So speak to him and, and say, yeah, Lord, I want to follow you. The rest of us, we've got like half an hour now. Let's, let's just uh, enjoy. If a band want to come up, let's just enjoy time of, uh, of thinking on him. We've got a bit of time, so let's just make the most of it and just continue where we left off earlier, of just praising him, thinking on his character, worshipping him, taking bread and wine together. All right. Let me just pray quickly. Actually, let's stand. If you want to stand. Oh, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we just want to set in, in Revelation when John saw you in heaven. He saw your face shining like the sun in all its brightness. His only response was, he, said, he says, he, he fell to the floor as though dead. When we come face to face with you, as you are, Lord Jesus, we just, we just know that we're, we're nothing, Lord. We, don't, we, we can't stand before this perfect God. But we do thank you for that picture also, that you are this gracious friend who just delights in us. We have this perfect Father who just delights in us sent his son Jesus for us we have the Holy Spirit who just loves to reveal Jesus loves to reveal the Father what a God we just bless you we just want to praise your name now Lord pray Holy Spirit inhabit our praises let us glorify you Jesus let what we uh, do here be not just here, but something that takes us out into the week, months, years. Lord, that you'd be glorified in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. We ask for it, Lord, in your glorious name. Amen.